0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day at Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, it's it's another pod this week, another special pod, which we we could have convened simply to mention the fact that we've just had our seven millionth download, which is amazing, but we're actually here for a purpose, Kieran, but let, let, let me just... you to bask for a moment in that figure of 7 million because even for an accountant that's a big number isn't it there's lots of zeros there yes
1: yes uh well well, thank you thank you to people for listening we're 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 still slightly bewildered um (laughs) but uh but but we we appreciate
0: the uh the 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 feedback and and the the commitment from so many of you yeah so we have a special interview for you uh, the second one this week um But this one is more special, I think. Uh, No disrespect to our lovely lawyer, Tom, that we spoke to. But we've been talking about the idea of an independent regulator in football, Kieran, almost from the very first pod. And we've already spoken to the person who led the fan-led review into that very thing. And today, uh, this is Thursday, you'll be listening on Friday, but today the white paper was introduced that followed the fan-led review which you took part in conducted by Tracy Crouch, CBE, MP for Chatham and Aylesford and the chair, as we say, of that fan-led review into football governance. Um, it was time-restricted because, as you can imagine, she's got an awful lot of people to speak to today, but we were lucky enough to be on that list. As you know, everybody, I'm not Jeremy Paxman, but it's quite difficult, I found, to conduct an interview with somebody about whom you agree on just about everything in football. But this is what Tracy had to say, and very interesting it was too. Tracy Crouch, thank you so much for joining us. And first of all, congratulations on your recent wedding and your even more recent CBE. Who did you receive your CBE from? Which member of the royal family?
2: Uh, rather wonderfully I received it from Princess Royal uh, who I've met on numerous occasions through various sporting events and so it was actually it felt quite weird being formal uh, with her because I normally meet her in a lot more sort of informal circumstances
0: and unsurprisingly we talked about sport. Of course yeah and apparently she's very funny as well I hear.
2: She is very funny, yes, yeah. and uh, she's lovely, and she's a genuine person. She's genuinely very enthusiastic about sport, particularly Olympic sport, um, but she gets it. She she watches and uh, reads you know, about developments in all sorts of different sports.
0: Yeah, Kieran and I often speculate who's going to hand us our medal, but it might be some time before that happens, Tracy. In the meantime, uh, to business, and, uh, congratulations as well, I suppose, because... Uh, The white paper is here. Your fan-led review was completed in November 2021. It was endorsed by the government in April 2022. Are you frustrated by the delay, or is that the normal sort of time span for this sort of thing?
2: no i don't think it's the normal sort of time span i remember when i responded to the minister's statement back in early 2022 and encouraged him to get on with it because of events um, that you know i felt like i was speaking as a wise old hand who'd been in parliament since 2010 and seen things happen in pretty crazy times of course none of us perhaps would have predicted what the next six months were then going to, um, uh, was going to do. And, and, you know, those events have really just scuppered the timetable. I think that Stuart Andrew, who was appointed sports minister under Liz Truss and then uh, retained the position under Rishi Sunak, has shown great patience and perseverance in, in order to get this out.
0: Uh, now the white paper is here, Tracy. is there a sense of pride, of relief, or is it all in the day's work?
2: <laughs> no, there is a great deal of um, of pride and relief um, in this. I mean, I think not just for me, but also for the panel, for the tens of thousands of fans who participated in the fan-led review, but also I think for the future of football. I think that something quite historic has happened, and uh, that I, I think that the vulnerabilities that we've seen in football in the past you know, will hopefully remain in the past as this becomes law and and that we can set up an independent regulator that has that oversight of everyday spending in football clubs.
0: And are you satisfied that all the key findings of your fan-led review have been fully realised in the white paper?
2: Yeah, I I mean, there is a difference between all of the recommendations and the key recommendations. And the key recommendations were the introduction of the independent regulator, um, the uh, better corporate governance, oversight, potential oversight of financial redistribution, which I'm sure we'll come on to, uh, giving fans uh, a say. There are, of course, things that are different to what it is that I recommended. But in a way, I don't mind that. It does show that government has really uh, seriously looked and reviewed at the recommendations in the fan-led review. You'll recall that there were concerns that the, the review wasn't independent. And I think actually the fact that they have reviewed and, and tweaked and amended and revised or, and in some cases dropped – uh, recommendations, I think it shows that they have really considered this in great detail.
0: Before we discuss some of those key issues, Tracey, can you give us an idea of what the legislative process is now and how long that will actually take?
2: Yes, yeah, so the, the government has to go through a consultation process with a white paper. Um, it is doing what is called a targeted uh, consultation process, which means that it is targeted at the key stakeholders. Therefore, it can be significantly shorter in a in a time period than if it wasn't a targeted one. So it will be a four-week ta- four targeted consultation. The government then has to review those responses and then um, it will be drawing up um, the actual legislation, which will then be introduced at the appropriate time in Parliament. Now, that is sort of you know, coded parliamentary speak for the oh. fact that actually – The monarch has to introduce legislation in a session so that that you would expect when we next have the King's speech, as it will be now, Mm. that there will be a nod to legislation in what is called that parliamentary session.
0: I do. I mean, forgive my lack of knowledge on this, Tracey, but it's it's been a long time since I did British Constitution at school. Do all white papers get equal weight? Are they all considered uh, of the same importance?
2: In what sense? You mean as in sort of from departments, or no,
0: in terms of priority? In terms of yeah, will they all be um, in the in the King speech at the same time, or will no, some not, be given more priority than others?
2: Not necessarily. I mean, I think that the fact is is that the, that this legislation will be quite narrowly drawn legislation. I, it will be legislation that is designed to uh, set up a, a regulator and give it its powers. It is a a bill that will have cross-party consensus, so shouldn't really face significant stumbling blocks in Parliament. And it should pass reasonably swiftly without, you know, much change or challenge to it. That's not the case for all pieces of legislation. So I would anticipate that this is something that could come forward quite early and be settled in time for it to be all up and running in place by the 2024 season.
0: Oh, that's good. That's that's, that's, uh, that's great. I'm talking of the independent regulator Tracy. I'm going to ask you two questions now. And I'm aware that the second one will make me sound like a hypocrite. Firstly, what do you say to those who claim that the Premier League charges against Manchester City were timed to coincide with the original release of the white paper to show that football can regulate itself? Thank you very much. And secondly, are you a bit annoyed that there's been so much focus from people like me on the independent regulator compared to all the other brilliant stuff that was in the review?
2: Well, taking that last uh, question first, no, not at all. Um, I think that the independent regulator is something that has been called for for a long time. Uh, my colleague in Parliament, Damian Collins, made reference to the fact that the first uh, review into governance in football happened in 2011. And myself and other sports ministers have, for decades now, been talking about how football needs to resolve, you know, some of the issues, some of the vulnerabilities that cause crisis in football. Uh, if not, you know, government will do something to do it, you know, to, to sort it for them. So, I think the focus on the independent regulator is an entirely natural thing for anybody who is interested in football um, to to do, so I think that it, there is a welcome focus on the need for an independent regulator and I keep on saying to people who ask about this, and you know I've been doing a lot of media today about the Premier League's concerns around an independent regulator let's just reflect on a second why we are here.
0: Hmm.
2: You know, we are here because the existing regulatory structures have failed in a variety of different ways over the course of the last few years and, and, you know, decades, actually. And um, we are here today because there was an attempt to break away by six clubs to break away from the Premier League. And at which point the Premier League asked government to intervene to support it. so. All these things have accumulated over time that have led to any reasonable person with any smidgen of knowledge of, of football or regulation coming to the conclusion that an independent regulator was needed.
0: And what about the answer to the, the timing of the Man City charges?
2: Well, it's not for me to comment on things like that, but, you know, I allow the more cynical and sceptical commentators in the world of football to make such uh, um, comparisons or commentary on the matter. But in a way, you know, when you look at the charges, they were going back, what, to 2009, 2010, 2011? Yeah. You know, you'd sit there and think, why weren't they dealt with over that period of time? And by the way, those sorts of issues, those are breaches of rules that would still remain within the remit of the Premier League. That's not something for the independent regulator anyway. Oh, that's
0: interesting. Also, reading the press release yesterday, this is the, the independent regulator for the Men's Elite game will be established in law. Does that mean that any decisions by the regulator wouldn't be able to be challenged?
2: Oh, you can challenge the law.
0: Right, okay. I'm just, I'm just wondering about how the process will work. I mean, not having had time to scan the white paper properly. So it, it's it's... A- any decision that the regulator's made, there will it's be all, a process. There
2: yeah, be- I mean, there's always an appeal process right. within the kind of decisions that are made. So, I mean, I think it's really important to stop thinking that this is some sort of kind of new, crazy, far out wild initiative. You know, most of our our businesses, our sectors are regulated in one way or another, and there are well tested um, processes in place. For you know, when people seek clarification or, or anything like that, the regulator is not there to make you know life exceptionally difficult for football clubs, it's there to provide security and a safety net for football clubs.
0: I, uh, nevertheless, are you expecting resistance to the white paper and the idea of a regulator from within the games? One lawyer we spoke to. Said we could be about this sort of legal guerrilla war going on in the next couple of months. With
2: well, we've- no, because actually the the only thing that can happen now is um, uh, a challenge to the process. So they can't challenge; no one can challenge a policy outcome. They can only challenge the way that that policy outcome was reached, i.e., via means of judicial review. But the process is and continues to be followed. Um, And I'm not sure that it would do the Premier League much good in terms of its reputation if it were to challenge the outcome of something that arguably they asked for when they asked government to intervene to support them from uh, sick clubs breaking away.
0: I'll come on to the, the potential Super League in a moment, but for me, Tracy, what we've seen happen with the charges against Birmingham this week, what we could see happen to Southend next week indicated that the white paper's planned changes to the owners' and directors' test are an urgent priority. Tell me a little bit more about what those changes are, and particularly about the notion of integrity tests and real-time financial checks.
2: Yeah, so... I think again we're not reinventing any wheels here um we're just applying what how it happens in other businesses to football uh and the white paper does go into more detail about those kind of tests Um, but it is something that enables for real-time financial monitoring it'll enable uh, to ensure that owners you know have good business plans that they have the means to invest uh, in their clubs um and And so on, and it's all going to be part of the license conditions for football clubs to be able to um operate, so I think that you know it really stresses and stretches the owner's test, but it also will have an a review aspect to it, so at the moment, under the current rules, you know if somebody commits some sort of criminal activity, then they can still continue to be an owner of a football club mm. that was you know this won't be the case going forward um and i think you know we've seen examples of that over the years where uh, an owner has has done something criminal um and and nothing has changed and the, remember the only way that Abr- abramovich was forced out of chelsea was the fact that we had we sanctioned a regime so you know i think that um uh it's going to be really interesting in how how it evolves but again i don't think it's going to be something that puts off good investors in, in football clubs in, in the English pyramid.
0: I'd like to bring Kieran in here, if, if I may, Tracy. Kieran, I, I would be interested to hear what you think about the new owners and directors rules, but also what you think of what seems to me as a layman, if, I wouldn't say radical, but a fairly decent financial redistribution suggestions. the sort of thing that we've been asking for since the very start of the pod.
1: Um i think it's it's addressing what what we've said on many occasions that the identification and and the acknowledgement that there is there there are cliff edges not not only between the premier league and the championship but also between the championship and league 1 and, and also between league 2 and the national league um and anything which which addresses this on a holistic basis uh is is to be encouraged so yeah i'm uh i'm i'm absolutely Chuffed a bit with what I'm reading. I've got, I've got the white paper here in front of me, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm getting out my highlighter and go. Oh, uh, that's that's right. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 progressive. It's it's not going to be a burden in terms of compliance, in terms of the efforts that individual clubs uh, will will have to, to undertake. Um, and it will encourage people to act in in a more sensible manner. You you should be having business plans. It, at, at this level of business so it's simply effectively codifying what, he, what is good business practice which surely
0: has got to be encouraged and also Tracy what I like about it love about it really as a, as a long-time football fan is it it kind of recognizes in law that most football fans are sensible people who should be allowed to have a say in matters off the field at the club that they've supported for years things like you know name changes badge changes kit changes stadium changes and that's it it's quite a big thing to admit that I think that's brilliant
2: yeah I think it's an acknowledgement that actually fans are an integral part to the success of the football club and you know remember seeing all those posters that were held up by fans during the ESL of you know football is nothing without fans and that's absolutely true and and you know and but then football um communities are nothing without fans and football clubs. And, you know, we saw the outcome uh, of the devastating impact that Bury um, Football Club had on the, its local community. And I think that's when people started to understand why football was important. You know, there was a real shift, I think, in Parliament um, around politicians talking about football. I mean, you've had people like me and others who are football fans who somehow managed to weave their love of the, foot of the sport and their club into almost everything that they do. But others would just sort of kind of raise an eyebrow, not really understand why it was important. And then Barry happened and people were like, oh, we, we get it now. We mm-hmm. understand it's not just about, you know, 90 minutes on the pitch with players rolling around pretending they've just been shot by a sniper. You know, it's actually a much, much greater thing than that. And I think that once, um, sadly, you know, it was—I mean, it was, it, it was a tragedy for all involved in Berry, but it really changed people's minds here uh, in Parliament about why something had to be done.
0: Well, it's really interesting as well to see in that uh, official government press release that both Berry. And Macclesfield were cited as examples of uh, exactly why something needed to be done. So, which is small consolation for those clubs, but also the press release talked about I think sixty-six clubs that have been into administration since the first review. I mean, it, it's it's an acknowledgement that something has been badly wrong for quite a long time, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, um, my my worry is is that, you know, you guys have built a really successful podcast on the back of financial failures right. uh, and vulnerabilities in football um and you know the white paper and its implementation could mean the end of this podcast
0: oh my lord Do you know what we haven't thought that through tracy i think th- we should we should stop this interview right now you're a damaging a
2: counter campaign
0: you're a, you're a, a, a dangerous radical seditionary this is not this is not good <laughs> I'm
2: enough I'm a <laughs> yeah, who was it who called you a maoist angus kinnear, angus um,
0: kinnear.
2: I, yeah i'd quite like a badge that
0: <laughs> must have been a proud moment for you to be called a maoist um and this when you talk about the the superlady this could spell the end, couldn't it, for any potential English club involvement in a European Super League?
2: It's not could, it would. Good. Um, you know, and I think that's you know that one's one of the key asks for the Premier League when they face the the threat of the breakaway um, of government, and and this certainly delivers on that.
0: Uh, will there eventually be an independent regulator for the women's elite game as well?
2: That I don't know. Um, the uh, there's a women's review going on at the moment. Rightly so, we've seen a, a phenomenal growth uh, in women's mm. football, professional women's football, and um, much of that is tied into the men's uh, elite game as well. So there is concerns uh, which were raised by fans during the consultation process about will the women's game make the same mistakes that the men's game has made is there a way of enhancing and growing the women's game in a different way you know do the structures need to be put in place and that's kind of something that Karen Carney is is looking at uh, following on from the recommendation that I put in the review to have a separate review into women's game and i believe that will report at some point during 2023 it is an important question to ask and there's lots of different Ways of of, you know looking at the future of women's football. So I think you know Karen's doing a a great job um, looking at these issues, and it'll be interesting to see what she comes up with.
0: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Unfortunately, Tracy, we've been speaking to a lot of women in football, both players, coaches and broadcasters recently, and there are quite a few of them who worry that the same mistakes have already been made, that you already have four elite clubs that are kind of uh, dominating the game, winning everything. The money, the sponsorship is heading towards them already and the distribution model of women's football isn't as good as it should be considering it's almost coming from a standing start.
2: Yeah. And I get those concerns and those were concerns that were raised, um, as well, but in a way, you know, as somebody who was banned from playing football when they were little, I also welcome the, the, the fact that we're having these discussions now. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, wasn't it amazing that during the January transfer window, Alessia Russo's potential transfer to Arsenal was leading, yeah. you know, some of the running commentary. And I just think they're they wow, you know, that's, that, that's never happened before, um, and so it's important that we remember that there is a growth happening. Let's embrace that growth. Let's make sure we, that we have the right structures in place, so that you know there is a, that there we there isn't necessarily the same mistakes going forward. Yeah, and
0: yet at the same time, there are still schools that won't let girls play football. It's Outrageous.
2: I mean, it's pretty yeah i mean it's pretty extraordinary and and um but there's a whole different podcast on what we need to do in terms of um kids and pe and girls and football
0: yeah uh, finally Tracy, because we're aware that there are time limitations you've had uh, fulsome praise from the prime minister the culture secretary and the sports minister which you would probably expect but you've also had uh, an absolutely wholehearted Uh, endorsement from the Football Supporters Association and that bit must make you very happy because essentially it's a Football Supporters Association and people like us that this legislation is for isn't it?
2: Yeah uh, yeah absolutely football supporters throughout the pyramid into non-league into grassroots um, you know they've been fundamental to the development of these proposals. I think the good thing is that you know quite often people view parliament as this you know political kind of non-stop argument on things and there's Mm -hmm. absolutely sort of kind of universal consensus on making changes bringing in reform uh, into football so in a way it's it's nice that we're in a happy place when quite often there's just complete you know arguments about everything so I, I do genuinely hope that that will enable a really swift consultation and introduction. And one of the good things about the white paper is that it does reference bringing in a shadow regulator so that actually the the structures can be set up and tested uh, in time for the actual implementation um, and enactment of the regulator once the legislation passes.
0: Is there a worry? I I meant to ask you this earlier, talking about the independent regulator. Is there a worry from... Uh, those people who are so resistant to the idea that the very notion of whoever's appointed, that their independence is called into uh, doubt. I mean, we've already seen that with the person who may be leading the Man City inquiry. People say, well, he's an Arsenal fan, so he can't possibly be independent. Does that mean you have to look for somebody from outside the game, do you think?
2: Oh, I, that would be a matter for um, later on. I think in the process, but in in my mind, the independent regulator uh, was somebody um, that is independent of the game. You need somebody who has an understanding and a knowledge of football, but this is about financial regulation. You actually want somebody who is really sort of kind of nerdy about um, capital and liquidity and you know mm-hmm. accounting procedures and things like that. It doesn't really matter who they support, um, if they support anybody at all. Um, you know that's that's not necessarily of an uh, of interest. Um, but it is you know you do have to have a step removed. I think um, in terms of government, you don't necessarily want it to be a political appointment. That would be my view. Um, and um, there are there are regulators out there that are appointed by a panel, not not the prime minister. I think that might be helpful, but that's something that the government will look at in more detail.
0: Tracy, it shouldn't be of interest what football club they support, but you know what football fans are like. If, <laughs> if, the, if the Brighton fan got the job, I'd be absolutely furious. But speaking yeah. of which, I mean, we we all know the ideal candidate for the job, Tracy. But unfortunately, Kieran's too busy with his media career. So otherwise- yeah, with this
2: podcast that's that's now going to fold because of my white paper. <laughs> Hang
0: on a second! It's all falling into place. You you fold the podcast. Kieran gets a job as independent regulator. Uh, finally, Tracy, we we know there are people in the game that are wary, to say the least, or fiercely resistant to the idea of an independent regulator, and possibly to some of the changes that you'll be suggesting about the redistribution of finances. What what do you say in a few short words to those people who are so against this idea? Of independence and fairness in the game. Well,
2: what's really interesting is that um, a lot of people are not as hostile to the idea as that is perhaps being made out. There oh. are some very vocal commentators uh, on it for sure, um, but the Premier League itself has been quite muted. Um, it, it's certainly publicly muted uh, on these on on today's announcement. Um, the uh, many of the individual clubs within the Premier League have engaged privately uh, with civil service with myself and indicated a a support for for a regulator Um, and so you do sort of kind of often wonder why uh, what you know what is behind people's Mm. hostility to the regulator is it because they perhaps they might uncover things themselves. You know, I I, I just don't know who these exceptionally hostile people are and and why they are so hostile. Um, But, you know, that's for them to to worry about. The fact is, is that other football authorities, the FA, the EFL, engaged very positively and proactively in the process um, of both the fan-led review and then subsequent discussions with government on it. Um, that hasn't necessarily been the case um, with the Premier League. And um, we are where we are because of failings in some of the the authorities, both Premier League, EFL and FA. So I just sit there and sit there and think you need to reflect, pause and reflect as to why we got to this position in the first place. It's really
0: interesting to hear you say that, um, Tracy, that there has been engagement and approach from Premier League clubs and the EFL because – the perception certainly is that there is a large degree of unified opposition to this. So maybe it's just that the one or two people who are against it have better contacts in the media than the, the people that are generally supportive.
2: I think that's probably a fair comment. Um, you know, quite often when you do um, hear somebody go into um, the studios, you know, you, my phone buzzes. And I'm sure other people's phones buzz to say, I just want you to know that is not our our view or that is not the view of um, the collective xyz you know so um but it is very difficult i think to have a collective view on on some of these issues um but i just don't i you know i there there are some people that are very keen to um to have their voices heard um but i i stand by the point that i don't think that it, they always represent um the entire um well in in many circumstances the entire premier league
0: tracy thank you very much for talking to us. Uh, hopefully, when the legislation is enacted, we can talk again and uh, share a glass of virtual champagne <laughs> over the airwaves as we celebrate uh, what I think is a remarkable piece of potential legislation. Um, you must, as we say, be very satisfied. It's been a long, long process involving a lot of people. But congratulations on getting it to this stage.
2: Well, thank you. As I say, I'm just pleased for the fans that you know. Hopefully, this will protect the future of their football clubs.
0: Yeah, and, and now we'll sit back and wait for all those tweets saying, well, you, congratulate, you're just on her side, aren't you? To which I'll respond, yes. The price, of, <laughs> the price of Football podcast has been on your side right from the very start, just as we're on the side of the Football Supporters Association and, and all those fans who worry on a daily basis about the future of their club, uh, as South End, South End fans are doing as we speak. So anything you do to change that situation is welcome by every genuine football fan, Tracy. Thank you again.
2: Thank you. Kieran, there's
0: a couple of things. I mean, she was fantastic, Chase. I mean, she must be exhausted. But it strikes me as a couple of things. uh, There is resistance, Kieran, no matter what Tracy thinks. I mean, very public resistance from people in football. David Sullivan, for example, just this week, has been very vocal in his opposition to the white paper, has he not?
1: Yeah, and I found that quite strange because... David Sullivan's been been involved in in two football clubs, the first of which was Birmingham City. He he sold Birmingham City to to someone where we didn't have a a particularly robust uh, regime of uh, of scrutiny, and, and the person he sold the, the club to ended up doing time for money laundering. And you go, well, if if David's saying that all is well with the way that football runs itself and does that, that seems very odd. And, and then you've got to look at the second club he's involved with, which is uh, West Ham United. Well, when he bought West Ham United, it was because the previous owners had been in deep trouble. They, remember, they were owned by an Icelandic bank and they yeah. they were in genuine danger of going out of business themselves. So I, I can't understand why anybody that's been involved in two football clubs who's uh, existence at times. And let's face it, you know, there are outstanding issues with Birmingham City at present, um, has, has been called into question. And yeah, we're talking about two massive clubs as well, yeah, the, and the impact that it would have on those people. and um, why he wouldn't want a system which which is there as a safety net. You know, it, the, the purpose of the regulator is is not there to, to tell clubs how to run themselves, it's there that if if things start to go a bit wobbly. Then, then it's there to as, as a protection. It's, it's a bit like having an airbag in a car. You know, most of the time, you won't know it's there and, and you won't need to use it. But but at times, it, it can be an absolute lifesaver.
0: Uh, interesting as well, Kieran, that when I said this could spell the end for any potential English club involvement in the European Super League, Tracy was unequivocal saying it will spell the end for any potential English club involvement.
1: Yes, yes. And, I, and I, I, th- I agree with her absolutely theoretically. I mean, it could come to pass that Manchester United fans want to join the European Super League. And if that is the case, well, we'll let them go. But certainly, from, from you know, I, 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 as you know, I played the Trafford Cricket Club, I work well. in Liverpool. Um, there is absolutely zero indication from from the fans of these clubs. And yeah, I, I I don't want to go into I'm a better fan than you mentality. Uh, but you know the, the lads I speak to are from Ermston and Gorton and uh, and Heighton and, and Liverpool City Centre. Yeah, and they are they are the local fans. I appreciate that some of the international fans might be more relaxed about Super League, but there's certainly no evidence of uh, any desire to to want to get away. And yeah, you know, even when I talk to Liverpool fans, they say to me, Oh, if, if if we don't get into the top four of the Premier League this season, it's because we weren't good enough, and, and therefore we shouldn't be in the Champions League next season. And we just fight and we move on and we try to improve uh, next season. And you know, they say it it will make you know, part of the love of football is that it is competitive um, to an extent. Yeah, you know, we know that there are huge gaps in terms of revenues between the, the big six and the other clubs, but there there is there is still an element of hope. And there is still this this broad sense of a meritocracy, which I think is something which should be cherished and preserved.
0: I don't know where you get the time, Kirin. Well, I do know where you get the time, because you get up at five o'clock in the morning for some bizarre reason. Um but you've had more chance to look at some of the key issues in the white paper. I doubt if even you have managed to peruse the whole lot or found any small print yet. But what's uh, immediately struck you right, and in particular, Kieran, as I hinted on the pod, I'd be Very interested to hear what you make of the, I think, seemingly quite radical plans for financial redistribution in the game.
1: Yes. I I think first of all, there's an acknowledgement that the Premier League has been very successful and and that is there to be applauded. Um, And the, the, the Premier League clubs should be the major beneficiaries of that achievement. But, there's no reason why provided the money is not wasted. And, and that has been an issue historically at the lower levels of football. If, if it goes, if, if extra money is like given to clubs in the EFL and that goes straight through into uh, increased employment costs, increased spend on transfers, then I think that's that's not the right way to go ahead. Um, but read, reading sort of between the lines, um, I, I, I can sort of sense... Uh, a sort of a, a three tier approach to distribution first of all the government and the regulatory appoint doesn't particularly want to get involved in the individual bun fight between the premier league and the efl because otherwise it, it it under the under the rules of blame game it it will always be targeted by both the premier league and the efl because Everybody, you know, if, if you're not satisfied with the whole deal, then then you're looking for a scapegoat, and that would become the regulator, mm. and and that wouldn't be good in terms of relationships. So I, I think the first thing that the regulators is likely to say is, right, we're going to let you two try to sort it out, and this is what happens if you don't. First of all, we will we will go to arbitration. Yeah, you know, we will try. You know, like like all, all good disputes, and and remember, Nick DeMarco always said this to us: um, arbitration. Is better than uh, litigation, um, so we'll, we'll try to go arbitration. And if they can't sort themselves out through arbitration, this is what I anticipate, and, and this is this is something that, that we teach uh, to teach students. It's something called game theory. We will say to both parties, both the Premier League and the EFL, right? We've tried to knock your heads together. You've refused. What we want is two sealed bids in terms of what you think. The distribution mechanism should be and then the regulator is going to look at those two bids and whichever one the regulator thinks is the most sensible will be the one that's applied so this is this is actually going to in theory it's going to force both of those bodies if it comes to this far to to actually say well you know am i pushing for too much am i not prepared to give away enough um and looking at the potential losses if if that perhaps they don't Reach an element of uh, goodwill, and you know the, the EFL has said it wants twenty five percent. It's it's not being prepared to budge, and part of the reason why it's not being prepared to budge is that the Premier League has never actually formally put anything on the table. There have been talks about presently the Premier League gives around about sixteen percent from 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 the whispers that I get. I think it's willing to go up to to nineteen. That the, the EFL wants. Parachute payment scrapped. I think the the, the Premier League and again, I've I'm a little bit more sympathetic here is saying, well, we're willing to compromise on on parachute payments. Yep, yeah, my personal view, for example, is is that they are too high and they're too long. They should you shouldn't need them for more than two years. And, and remember, we still have parachute payments in the EFL itself, so it would seem inconsistent to have them in the EFL and not the Premier League when when the Premier when the EFL are the ones who are so opposed to it. Um, so you have both parties. They put together an offer, and it's going to be one or the other. And and what what you find in in any form of sort of sort of you know, business modeling is is that you get two scenarios, which which probably either aren't too far apart from each other, or one of them is such a load of old cobblers <laughs> that it gets completely rejected, and the other party wins. So um, it, it, to me, the people that have been behind this report and you know and the the critics will say, "Well, it's the government. Well, the government's actually employed professionals to do this. It's employed civil servants. Those civil servants have have had conversations with a vast, a vast variety of of stakeholders. They've listened to the Premier League. They've listened to the EFL. They, they've listened to people with a background in finance who like football and, and a background in in sort of the, the sort of you know, standard legal positions and so on. Um, and, and they put together." From from what I'm seeing here is 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 a comprehensive, measured and proportionate proposal. It's it's cross party. You know the, 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 this isn't a this is not a a Tory party uh, a white paper or a Labour uh, white paper. White paper. It is one which has been led in my view by common sense. Um, and I, I don't think individual political parties can start to pick holes in it. And I don't. And there's no evidence that they would do anyway.
0: I don't think there's any political mileage in doing so either. Do you? Really, no, apart, a- absolutely not. Apart, you know, because apart from getting David well, Sullivan's vote at the next election, obviously. <laughs> yes, um, I, I am starting to get slightly paranoid, Kieran. Though that all along you and Tracy Crouch have been uh, involving me in your cunning web of deceit. That the, right from the very first pod, your plan has been that Tracy will introduce a white paper that makes this podcast redundant, and then you will get the job as independent regulator and i'll be outside the house of commons watching you go in with a little bowl saying we will tell jokes for money <laughs> brilliant would you take the job i mean you're not going to get offered the job Kieran. So i don't know no, what i'm asking not off the you. Job, so but, it is. but would you cuz you, you can you imagine the baroness how happy would the baroness be if you were the independent regulator of football kid uh, i i think i'm i'm the last person
1: to to to, to uh be offered the job and also it's far better for me to be outside the tent throwing throwing
0: grenades than inside that's true and so well, well, done know, uh, you- well done for using that analogy rather than the more common one uh, <laughs> i'll tell you who the last person to be offered the job is given the prowler you'll be you're, yeah, the, you're the second last person to be offered the job i think the prowler will, yes. if the prowler gets the job we all know there's been a terrible mishap in the recruitment process <laughs> uh, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, um, go to Patreon.com/slash PriceOfFootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at PriceOfFootball.com. And Kieran and I would like to end. Uh, and producer guy would like to join us by thanking. And I know it's not seven million people that have downloaded. It's a large amount of people that have downloaded that many times. But thank you. To each and every one of you who has listened to our pod, especially those people who listen on a weekly basis, we really do value your company and your feedback. Bye, everybody. Bye. I suck for football.